once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If you wanted to bring a gift to someone in order to honor them, what would you bring? Would it be old and broken? If they came to your house, would you serve the leftovers from your refrigerator? What about God? How do you honor Him? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the new series, Questioning God, with this message entitled, Questioning God's Honor, which covers Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning to all. What a difference one week can make. And you may be thinking of different things when I say that, the weather or whatever, but uh, for me, last week, I came here this moment, and I was, I was really enthused about the message. I, I really was excited and couldn't wait to give it. Uh, I, I don't want to give this one. I, I really don't like this message at all. Uh, I, don't, I don't expect that you are. Uh, if I don't, why would you? Uh, but I, I really have not wanted to preach this message. If you were here last week, we started a, a series, and the series entitled Questioning God, out of the book of Malachi. Now, you understand Malachi is one... It's called the minor prophet, one of the minor prophets. You know what prophets did? Were prophets liked? No. Why? Because of what they did. What do they do? They gave bad news. They kept saying, this is not good, and this needs to be changed, and so forth and so on. And a lot of, a lot of places where teaching goes on, the, the news is only the positive stuff in terms of here's the good news to you to understand and here's what you're going to enjoy here and here's what you want to hear and this is what's good and true and so forth and, and probably never get to the prophets because the prophets are not fun to preach and they're not fun to listen to. I, I bet you when the prophets gave their, their sermons, their messages, their, their proclamations, their, their prophecies, I bet they rarely got an applause, if ever. It was just one of those things, can you, in fact, a lot of the prophets got hurt for what they said. I don't anticipate that to happen here, <laughs> uh, I, but I want you to know, I, I'm just saying what he said, okay? It's just, I'm passing it on to you as, as the way it works. But, uh, you know, last week felt like a hug. You know how the prophet began? He said, you need to know how much I love you. And I, and I preached on God's love and how he says he loves us, how he shows he loves us. I, I didn't ask. I never asked about, you know, what were the, how many people went online and listened and all that. But I'll guarantee you it, it was much higher than, than normal, much higher. The responses that I got afterwards, I mean, beyond, I can't remember how many I, I rarely get, I get a handful of positive comments after a message, but it was just overwhelming last week. Why? It felt like a hug. Well, this one feels like a slap. In fact, when I thought about that, I said, you know, it feels like a slap. Only those of us that are older could remember this. Like in the 80s, there was a little commercial, a men in skin bracer type commercial, and John Goodman, I probably can't, well, uh, pretty poor quality, but I mean, the guy just slaps himself and then says, boy, I needed that. Well, that's, I think, the way it will feel today. There'll be a little slap, but what I'm praying and I'm hoping is that you'll say, if so, I needed that. I think it's a lot like a, a doctor's appointment. You know, you go to the doctor, you feel healthy, you feel good, everything seems to be, you're just going to do a little exam, and, 
And the doctor comes back and says, well, I, I've got some very bad news. This is not good, and this is not good, and you've got this problem, and such and such, and so and so. And whatever they say, we hear that, and it's very, very disappointing. And we'd rather not hurt it. But at the same time, we say, if it be the case that that's the condition I'm in, I really am glad that I heard it. That's when we say, thanks, I needed that. I've needed this message this week. Uh, not like you, you're going to hear it one time. I've been hearing it all week long. I mean, this has been going over and over and over and over and over. It's a simple message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out to you in uh, three basic evidences of someone who is not honoring God. This is on God's honor. Last week, uh, it was about questioning God's love. This week, it's about questioning God's honor. Let me give you a definition of honor. Let me lay that up before you. It's something done or given as a token of respect. And what God is going to be saying is this. I want you to hear me. I love you. I'm telling you I love you. And I'm going to show you that I love you. And he shows how that he loves us. Now, many, many of the people who were listening then as now, like last week, are thinking, yeah, I'm not sure God loves me because look at my circumstances of life. And that tells that he must not love me if he's sovereign he can do whatever he chooses to do, and he's allowing things to happen in my life that are not good things, then I don't think he loves me. And he dispels that whole concept in what he says in verses 1 through 5. And there are a lot of people here who said, you know what? I hadn't been thinking that way. We had a first-time guest last week that I saw again this morning, bumped into him in the hallway. I'd just spoken to him last week, and he said, you know what? You said something at the end. You said if you wake up in the middle of the night and your heart is heavy, you're worried or whatever, he says you just focus on the sovereignty of God and the love of God. And you know what? I went right back to sleep. Oh, we love hearing messages like that, don't we? How can I sleep better? This is a message that keeps you awake. And this is a message you say, oh, is it really true? Because what he's going to say is this, you think you honor me. When you don't. And he gives evidences just to say, look, just look at the way it's going. Watch what's happening and see if it's true. So I want you to view this like a doctor's appointment. We're going to kind of walk through a little bit, kind of show what the, what the prophet says. We'll try to make it applicable to today, put it in today's language and in today's life. I'm truly convinced were Malachi here today, he wouldn't change this message even among us. I think he'd say it's still the same right here. Not all of us, but for so many of us. By the way, if you're here and, and not a, a follower of the Lord, you know, this is not where you are right now. You just haven't come into a love relationship with him. Well, this message is not so much directed to, to where you are. I mean, if somebody says, hey, I, I'm not honoring the Lord. I know I'm not. That's not the point. You see, he's talking to a people of Israel who are a people who are convinced they're honoring God. And so it's God speaking to them to say, I have to show you you're not. In other words, I know you think you're in good spiritual health, but you really aren't. So that's all he's saying, okay? Let's look at three evidences that are supported with what's called a diatribe. If you were not here last week, I defined diatribe unlike a dialogue. Di means two, but a dialogue would be where you have two people and one says something, the other responds. One says something, the other responds. This is not that. 
This is a diatribe, which means you've only got one person speaking, speaking for, in this case, God himself, and then speaking for the people to whom he is having this comment made. And he's saying, I know that when I say this, you're going to say that. And I want to say to you, based on what you said, and then you're going to say, but, and you'll come back. And so it's, it sounds like a dialogue, but it's called a diatribe, all right? Now, here is the first of three evidences that he's going to give us if we think we are honoring God and we really are not honoring him. Let's look at the first. The first one, contentment without commitment. Contentment without commitment. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. Priest. He says, as he ends the statement, O priest who despise my name. It's very interesting. My name refers to his person. That's all that means. Who, O priest, despise my name. Why a priest? Well, you need to understand that the priest were the first culprits to this problem. But it's not that it was just the priest. Later in the book, you're going to hear him turn and say the same things to the people at large. So please don't think this is just something to the priest. But this is the way it works. There's a little statement. I heard this years and years ago, and I know it's true. As the clergy goes, so goes the laity. Now, I would be called clergy. I'm a pastor. You would be called laity because you're not a pastor. Crazy terms and so forth. But that's the way it's been talked about. Well, the reality is this. Were I here teaching you week in and week out, for whatever reason you show up, I'm teaching that the Bible is not the infallible Word of God. I'm teaching you that it really does have its, its problems and so forth. And, and I'm teaching you that, by the way, the way you're going to really get right with God is working harder to please Him. And I just give all the wrong information possible. Do you know what would happen in time? That congregation would pretty much embrace the same type of teaching. You'd always have some resistance, but the majority would probably follow. You can watch seminaries. That's the places where pastors go to train. And you can watch a seminary. And as the seminary goes, there goes the pastors. And as the pastors there go, there go the people. So he's just bringing out the point that this started with the priests. But the problem is not just to the priests. Let's continue reading. He says, but you say, here's the diatribe, how have we despised your name? Wait, 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 wait. You, you're saying we, we're despising God, your name, your person? How in the world are we doing that? Which, by the way, shows their contentment. They're not even aware. They're very content with the way things are going until God says that, and they come back and say, whoa, 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 how have we despised your name? He says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, what? How have we defiled you? What way have we done that? God says, in that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. Now, the table of the Lord was a, were the tables. This is not the, where the showbread and all, if you know anything about the temple. This, this would be the table that's put right inside the gates as you come into the temple area. And it's on these tables that you would bring your animals to sacrifice to the Lord. 
So here are people who are making sacrifices. There is, there is the, the practice, at least, of doing what God says. But God says, no, 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 you're defiling my table. He's going to explain in a minute why we're defiling the table of God, or they, in that case, are defiling the table of God. But he says, it has to do with your sacrifices, okay? Now, by the way, what he's saying in this, he's beginning to give this message, I'm very disappointed in you. Not only am I not getting honor or respect, I'm being disrespected. I know that. I realize that you're not even treating me the way you would treat a governor or a master. We'll see that more coming. He says, you know, you're not honoring me, and you're content in the fact that you are not. And they say, how? And so it's actually the second evidence that he gives that gives a spotlight onto the first. And so we really have to roll right into that. Let me say before I go into the second, though, it is very, very, very real that God would be very disappointed in his people. Hear this. And at the very same time, absolutely love those same people. You and I cannot allow ourselves to think when God expresses disappointment with us, that means he doesn't love us as much. That may be true with sinful man. We get disappointed and our love is withdrawn, not with God. He can actually begin this message saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'll show you how I love you. I do love you. I proved I love you. And oh, by the way, I'm very disappointed with you. And many people say, don't tell me a message of disappointment. That means that God doesn't love you. Yes, he loves you. Don't even think that way. The two go hand in hand. Why is he addressing his disappointment? It is because of his great love. So please keep that in mind. Don't say, okay, he said yes. Last week we, we heard he loves us. Now we're hearing he's disappointed. It's the same message. It's the same people. He loves people that he's disappointed with. Now, the second is sacrifice without sacrifice. Verses 8 through 14. I want to read just verse 8 to begin with. It says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? And the answer is obviously no. Look at verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Very interesting how he talks about himself. My name is feared among the nations. I'm king of kings. I'm the Lord of hosts. But the very people I love, you don't respect me. But the nations that I don't love, they fear me in a way that you people don't. That's the irony of what he's saying. He said, you're my people. You're the people I've just said I love, I love, I love. Now, I'm not getting honor. And they're saying, well, how do we not honor you? He said, look, these people knew the teaching of Deuteronomy, which was called the law. And the law said for the people of this day, remember this is 400 to 450 B.C., and so they still have the animal sacrifices the animal sacrifices, as it said in our text, should be a male and should be without blemish. 
Well, why? Because Not because a male is, is better than a female in life. That's not it at all. But the one coming to give his ransom, his life as a ransom would be male, and he'd be without blemish, no sin whatsoever. This was a picture of the coming Jesus. That's all it is. And he says, I want you to see that picture, but what you're doing is you're saying, wait, 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 the male without blemish is my most valued of all my stock. I don't want to give you that which is going to really cost me a lot. I want, to, and I want to be committed to giving something. I want to make sacrifices. And so they were bringing the blind and the lame and so forth and saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay to defile the table. That's basically what he's saying. But you say, what's wrong to defile the table? It's not a big deal. We are bringing sacrifices, and that's where so many of us land. Wait, I'm making sacrifice. I'm living as a Christian. You know, I, I would never deny Jesus. And goodness gracious, I come to church and I, I, I give some money and I do things. I mean, please, I, I'm, I'm there with you all the way. And, and God's saying, no, 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 no. You're missing the bigger picture. It is the heart. So let's go to verse 9. Look what it says in verse 9. But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? Was such an offering on your part Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Now, here's what he's saying here. Here's the irony. There's sarcasm in this, the way it's written. It says, but now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? Now, keep in mind, Malachi is speaking on behalf of God. He said, now, here, folks, wait, wait, wait. What do you do? You turn around and you beg the blessing of God. You say, oh, oh, God, give me your very, very, very best. But the reality is, Malachi says, you're not giving God your best, and he shows it in the sacrifices. Well, what are our sacrifices? Well, we sacrifice our life, do we not? God says in Romans 12 that we should put our, make our bodies a living, our bodies meaning our being, a living and holy sacrifice. So what happens, seeker, when you come to faith? What are you going to say? You're actually coming to the point to say, I'm turning around my life, meaning I'm moving in a different direction, but I'm not going to change me. I've fallen in love. I've fallen in love with God through Christ. And, and, and God, you're the one changing me. And so at that point, we commit and we say, Lord, I am going to follow you. How do you know? You've heard me say that. How do you know you're a follower? Because you what? Follow, right? That's, that's the best way to know if you're a follower. You follow. And so these people were saying, oh, we're following, and, and Malachi says for God, but you're not following. That's not really true. Well, we give our lives. What does that mean? It means we follow. I think about what Jesus says, just this one, little, one of a hundred different points we could make. He says, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I'm going to make you people who make disciples of other people. His great commission, go and make disciples. Followers say, okay, I'll make disciples. But you know good and well, there are a lot of us that can look back over our lifetime and say, and, and how has God used me to make a disciple? Even inviting people. Some of us, I mean, I'm just trying to, the truth of it, many of us would say, I've been coming here for years, and I don't know anybody that's coming here because of my labor in their life. I don't know anybody that's coming to church and love, love with Jesus because I invested in their needs and their hurts and their pain and their struggles and their problems or, 
or just was a friend to say, come and join me. We'd, it, but we feel good. We're here. It's, nobody else is with us, but we're here, and that's what counts. And God says, wait, no, no, no. I said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But what do we do? We say, oh, God, bless my life. God, I want your blessing. I want everything to come well for me. But I don't want to do that for you. I mean, some, but not, not like that kind of following. Or, or what about our children? We say, Lord, I want to give you my children. We do that in baptism. When we baptize a child, you know what we're saying? God, I'm surrendering my child to you. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that I'm the steward of this child. And so I'm going to pray with and for this child. And I'm going to bring you up in the, you know, in the admonition of the Lord. And I'm going to do everything. I want to see you become a godly kid. And, and what happens with our children? When we start evaluating how much excitement, enthusiasm, time, attention, and money we give to our children's sports careers or to their enjoyments or their education, all that, it way goes beyond for some of us what we do in our passion, heart, and, and zeal to see that kid become godly in Christ Jesus. And the way we pray for our children and with our children, we say, man, I'm not sure I've even been praying with my kids. I don't even, but we, but we made our commitment that we would do that. And so there's, and we feel fairly content. We're doing a good job. We're bringing our kids to church, involved in discipleship, and somebody's taking them every week and working with them. And I'm, but God says, no, 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 no. No, it's, it's commitment. Not being content without it. It's, it's being committed. It's sacrifice. Or, or think about our monies. Think about the monies that we give. You know good and well, all of us know this, have been in church, been teaching, learning scripture. God says, hey, there's a, there's a little rule that, that I've put out for all creation. I did it before the law was ever given. It's not to be viewed as an Old Testament deal. It's, hey, take a tenth of your giving, of your monies, and you give it first, your first fruits to the Lord. And he says, you watch the way I'm going to bless you. And the people who I have met with the years that say, oh, my finances, please pray, God will bless my business. I'm losing this. I need that. I say, have you been giving your monies to the Lord through this year? Have you been tithing? Well, no. I say, yeah, but, but you would beg God's blessing on your finances. You beg God's blessing on your, on your, your children. You beg God's blessing on your own life. Boy, that's verse 9. I mean, that's, that's all he's saying. He's saying, you got to know this. There's a little, little irony here that we're begging God for these things that mean so much to us. But, but on the other hand, we turn around and, and we don't honor him. That's what he's saying. There is sacrifice, but without sacrifice. Michelangelo. Nobody knows who Michelangelo is. A great artist and sculptor and so forth. And in his uh, early days as a student... His teacher saw him among the other students designing and chiseling away at their statuaries and his was so superior to anybody's and of course all the students are looking over going, wow, look at this guy, good night, how old is this guy? Wow, look what he's done. The teacher goes around to the, this student and, well, um, good job, you might want to do this a little bit here. And, oh, you're making good progress, keep it up. And Oh, you're okay, came over to Michelangelo, went over, picked up a mallet and just smashed it. Everything he'd been working on, just smashed it. And he looked at him and he said, talent is cheap. 
But dedication is costly. And what God is saying is, please don't think that I'm asking for something that's very costly in and of itself. That's not it. I don't want something that just costs. I want something that reflects the cost in you that shows me this is a love deal, that you want to do this, which is already presenting a little problem here because I know what you're hearing. You're hearing, okay, I got to, I got to, I got to try harder and I got to do more. I got to give more. I got to do. Please don't hear me say that. No, we're talking about the condition of the heart. He's saying this is just the doctor probing, pushing, and oh, feel something. That means you might have something wrong there, a little tender. Then know this. You don't just, okay, I'm going to try harder to get better. No, this is to show you. This is to point you to the one who can heal you. That's all it is. Do you understand? It's it's just pointing to the one who can heal you. Not saying try harder not to be sick. That's not the point. So he says, here's the problem. We've got contentment without commitment. We've got sacrifice without sacrifice. There should be sacrifice. I remember when, when, uh, I've shared this story in our membership class. So many of you heard this, but uh, uh, just uh, vividly reminds me of this whole idea of the difference between, okay, I'm going to do it versus I really delight in doing it. God doing something in us versus us just saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm moving it up to the next commitment. And many of you remember the story. I was uh, saving my money. I didn't have any savings. We were trying to build into this, uh, build this new facility. We bought the property. We we're trying to build our first facility and all the first people this church that were part of it, they were just giving so sacrificially and all. And we all made our commitments to what we would pledge to give over the next three years that we might be able to see this place built. And Carol and I made our pledge. We felt it was what God would have us to do. It was going to stretch us. It was going to be tough. But uh, I, for two years prior to that pledge, I had been wanting something and having no savings account. I said, you know, I really want to buy this thing. It was something very legitimate, very appropriate. And so I said, you know, it would be appropriate maybe if I just would take, uh, it's too big, it costs 500 bucks what I wanted, and I couldn't ask that for Christmas from anybody or birthday. So I said, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take for a few years my Christmas and birthday gifts that I can swap back for money. I'm going to swap them in for money, and I'll save the money and get what I want. So I'd been doing that for Several years. That's like a little miser. I had my little envelope in my, in my drawer, and every month or two I'd count it again, you know, and getting closer and closer, and I'd finally hit $500. I just made our pledge. We had, Carol and I just made the pledge. And I looked at that $500, and I'm going, yes, I'm going to go get it now. And I declare it was like, when I say the Lord speaking to audible voice, but I just knew God was saying to me, why don't you make that your first commitment to your, to your pledge? And I responded saying, no. God, I could be wearing these as, you know, belts and whatever they were. Please, this has been, t- don't do this to me. Now, at that point, that's where a lot of us say, I'll do it because God says to do it and I'll do it. Well, there may be some honor, maybe some honor deep down in there, but that's not what God wants. He wants to see that duty turned into the light. That's what he longs to see. And I can remember as I sat there, and it, I didn't do anything to warrant it. or admit, I just said, you know, I was kind of fighting with God over it, and, 
And I, a scripture came to my mind, the, the scripture where David is having to, uh, he's, David has just messed up real badly, you know, the story of his life and the murder and the, you know, all he did with Bathsheba and all. And so he's going to make a sacrifice. And he's got to buy the property to make the sacrifice and the animals and all the stuff. And so in the effort to do so, the one that he's going to buy it from says, hey, oh, you're, you're, you're King David. Come on. I'll give you. It's yours. I'll give it to you. And he says, I will not take it as a gift. I will not offer the Lord that which cost me nothing. He thought I want there to be a cost. And so that verse just hit my mind. And I thought, wow, you know what? When do I have an opportunity to really give in a way that, that has a real cost to me? And it was just odd because I had this sense of delight. It was like, I would like to do that. That's when I knew it was a good thing to do. And, and I, I did. I gave that and I said, that'll be, our first, that'll be our first commitment right there. Well, that's what we're looking for. Now, is that the work of God? Can you time the work of God? Can you make the work of God happen? We're going to close out in a few minutes and we're going to seek to see how that happens. But please know this. I'm just trying to say it over and over. Don't think... I will just ratchet up commitment and I'll try to be better according to what Malachi says I should do. It's more than that, okay? So let's hit the third very quickly just to see the other evidence. The third is weariness without work. Verse 13. You know, I, I ought to, um, I probably ought to read verse, because I didn't read verse, um, where did I end? Did I read verse 10? I don't think I wrote. Let me, let me read this to you. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on, your, on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept the offerings from you. He's saying, basically, I, I, I'd like to see us lock the doors to the gates so that people couldn't get to the tables to make those kind of sacrifices. It's his way here in this verse saying, I really would rather have no sacrifice than to have one that's blatantly wrong. It's, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. Then we go to verse 11, and this is an insightful text. I'm going to come back to this in just a couple of minutes as we close. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name, my person, will be great among the nations. And in every place, this is interesting, and in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. That is future tense, and that is passive. I'm coming back to that. Remember that. Meaning it's something that happens to us, for us. It's something not that we do. It's something that's done for us. In every place, incense is going to be offered in my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is this. Look, folks, I'm going to have people. It's not that I'm saying, please honor me or I won't have anybody to honor me. He's saying, no, 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 I'm going to be honored. In fact, there's going to be the day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that I am who I claim to be. I will have my worshipers in every tribe, nation, tongue. I'm going to have all that. I want you to do that. I want you to be part of that people. I want you to do it now, not just later. In essence, it'd be like him saying, hey, there's a lottery and there's going to be a winner why not you be the winner? I want you to participate in the great wonder of honoring my name. He's, he cares not just, oh, I'm not. He says, it's you I'm concerned about. It's his love. 
okay? Now we go to the third, and that would be weariness without work, and that would take us to verse 13. Here in verse 13, he says, you also say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it. it literally, turn up your nose. It's, a, it's a, just a rude thing, that, that term, dis, uh, disdainfully sniff at it says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? And that's how he, in essence, ends that, that thought. Now, we're going to look at verse 14, and we're going to see it again. And 14 is going to take us into the first three verses that I'm not going to cover. You might want to read those on your own. But all he's saying is this, hey, when you are doing the right things with the wrong heart, know this, it will become very wearisome. You will wear out quickly. We'd use the word burnout. You know, burnout is not from working too hard. You know that. People can just get exhausted. But burnout's when you're doing the wrong thing. That's when you burn out. When you continue to do the wrong thing. If whether it be tennis I used to play or golf now, whatever I, I'd be playing, if I'm playing well, I never got tired of it. But boy, when I'm playing badly, I think about quitting. I say, man, I can't keep doing this. This is exhausting. This is tiring. I don't want to do this. Well, why? Because I'm doing the wrong thing. When I'm doing it right, oh, that's okay. That's the problem with many of us. Many of us are just so tired, and the little things wear us out. Oh, we have to take our children to discipleship on, you know, on Sunday night. And, oh, gosh, I'm so tired. I can't. Do we have to do? Okay, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, boy, oh, boy, our energy is strong to do the things we love, the things that we're excited about and committed to, right? That's, that's all he's saying. You're just going to become wearisome. We have a man in this church, a dear, dear, dear friend of mine, and I'm always amazed that this guy, I hear what he's doing, and he's got, he's got deep, deep hardships and challenges uh, with special needs in his family, uh, has his own business. And man, he's as busy as any of us, but boy, he just doesn't seem to tire to go downtown and find somebody who's homeless or hurting and to help them. And the next thing you know, he's got somebody living in his home with them, and that just exhausts me to think about it, and he's just doing this, and you know, Hurricane Katrina comes in, and he finds some people, victims of that, and he says, let me take you in, and let's help you, and, and it just, I never hear him say, oh, this is so wearisome, it's tiring, but I just got to do it. Oh, it's like, I love doing this. It energizes me. Well, that's what God is saying. He said, I want my people to get energized about what they do for me. Now, all that, there's a the closing. And the closing comes when he, he really gives us the insight into this whole thing. And that comes out of that verse 11. But know this, that in verse 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, he says something that's pretty scary. He says, unless something changes, he puts it this way, unless something changes, I will send a curse upon you I will curse your blessings, and I will negatively impact your offspring. Yikes. Malachi wasn't like for saying that. But God says, you know, there are consequences. And this isn't that God's going to say, okay, now I'm going to cause this to happen, and I'm going to cause this to happen. 
But you know how that happens, I believe? It's okay, we're committed and we're content. I mean, we don't have much commitment, but we're content. Uh, we make some sacrifices, but no, not real sacrifice. And, you know, I'm a little wearied over my labor, but oh, okay, no big deal. Watch your life. You won't know the blessing of God. You won't have the excitement, the enthusiasm, the passion, the zeal for life that you want. You really won't. Or let your kids grow up and see that. Oh, we're committed. Let's go to church. We got to go. And we have our religious values minus the eternal value side. And our kids will grow up. And not only will they not have the eternal values, they won't even have the religious values. Not that it makes a lot of difference because, because neither are pleasing to the Lord. He says, if you want your kids and your life to have the great blessing of God, not all good circumstances, but the blessing of God, life blessing, if you want that, then make sure your heart is in the right place. So how are we going to do that? Here's the closing. The way we do that is we go to the cross, as I say every week, we go to the cross, we see what he's done for us, and as we see his love for us, that's what can compel us to cause us to love him more. Getting in the scriptures, reading on a regular basis, seeing his love, his passion, his character, his life will cause that love to grow. But as we go to the cross and see his work on the cross, and, not, not instead of, and we keep going and go to the resurrection. And you go to the resurrection and you see that, oh yes, I have died with Christ. I've been crucified with him. I am love, forgiven forever. But I'm also risen with Christ. And being risen with Christ means that I now experience his power. I now have the capability, the moral ability to obey, to delight in doing the duty that God's called me to. And now all we have to do to get there is just make our lives a life of repentance where we constantly come before the Lord and say, God, I see my sin and I know that I have embraced things that are hurting me. I want to give them up for you, meaning I like to replace you for them. I want you to satisfy me. And it's the invitation of God to be the only one to satisfy, admitting that I've been looking for my satisfaction in other is what God says, I now want to embrace you more and more. You'll embrace my love more and more because you've done the thing that had to be done. You've repented. So I'm going to ask us now that we take about two minutes, a little longer than normal, and I'm going to have us bow, pray, and I'm going to ask us this. Would we just tell God these three things? If, they, if they're true and we got poked at, we, oh, it felt a little sensitive, just say, okay, God, I'm weary over my spiritual work. Or, oh, oh, God, I, I really am. I'm sacrificing, but I'm not making a sacrifice. Uh, whatever it is, just talk to him about it and just invite him to show you his love and his power. Now you got it. Love and power, that's what leads to turning duty to delight. Let's bow. Let's pray. Lord, I can't imagine how thrilled your heart is to hear your people listen to your prophet and say I accept and I agree and I want you this has got to be a, a neat time for you I know 
Lord, where we can't open up and admit or, or at least say, I surrender and, and, and want. God, don't give up on us. We, we pray just help us in our disbelief. God, I, I just believe you're going to work in our hearts and you're going to teach us a lot through this book. And I pray that you would enable us now to embrace your love and to start honoring you. Lord, next week as we look at marriage and who we can marry and when we are permitted to get divorces and the issues that you bring us about this important realm of marriage and dating and all the things that touch us. I pray next week would be a special time for us all. But Lord, be honored in this week. Everything we do, may we honor you. And we ask this in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.